Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning. That's a nice response. Guys, feeling good? Feeling strong? That's good. Uh, today, that's not, not really good. You guys are uh, sleeping on me. Hey, uh, if you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, we began a series two weeks ago um, called Time Well Spent. And over the, the four weeks that we're, we're going to be talking about this, we're talking about the significance and the value of time. Uh, we began in, in the first week with Psalm 90, uh, where Moses is, is reflecting at the end of his life on what God is doing and through history and the world. And, and he says, he has this incredible statement where he says, teach us to number our days. And, and the principle that we examined a couple weeks ago, again, for those that weren't here, was this, this idea that the way we view time will determine the way we use time. If we think we have lots of it, if we think we're totally in control of it, and we know how many days, oh, we, I've got decades of time, it's all fine, then if we think we have a lot of something, the value of it goes down. But if, on the other hand, we realize that each and every day is a gift from God, that ultimately we're not actually in control of our time, then all of a sudden, the time has this much greater value when we begin to see ourselves and our lives and our time in light of the larger story and not just ourselves. And so the way we view time will determine the way we use it. Now, uh, last week, Todd shared a great message about prioritization, and, and he was talking about how in our lives there's never enough time to do all the things we want to do. And so he used a couple jars, and so I just want to recap the illustration and build off of it today. So essentially, he had uh, two jars. One of them had these rocks, and these rocks represent our priorities, specifically the most important things. And if this jar represents our available time, so let's say this is the amount of time you have in a day or in a week or a month or a year or your life, there are certain things that that must find their way onto our schedule. There are certain things that must be a priority. The first one, this large rock on the bottom, represents our relationship with God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, this is a bunch of other stuff that we want to use our time for, will be added to you. Now, there are some other rocks in here. Relationship with a spouse, family, friends, perhaps your career, perhaps your health. There are are many things that are important and that need to be prioritized. And the idea that uh, we kind of landed on last week was this idea that what gets done first will determine what gets done. So if we started here and I started adding those priorities, as you, you realize, that, and Todd did a great job showing us, that the rocks don't all fit. But if we prioritize the right things first... Then all of these other things that are honestly not that important, but they're often very urgent. Todd used the example of golf last week, which, you know, um, but he didn't mention shopping, right? Which could also be a waste of time. Um, This could represent, this could, come on now. This could represent, this could represent Netflix, Instagram, Snapchat, Fortnite, golf, hockey, you know, macrame, who does that anymore, right? So th- this could represent anything that you just, you want to do with your time. And, and here's the idea is if we put the big rocks in first and we set those priorities, and you've probably seen an example like this, you're about to be wowed and amazed. Uh, when these things begin um, to be added after the priorities are set in place, you know, amazingly, wow, there's enough space. 
right? So this is, this is the idea uh, that we learned last week. And so I want to build off of this um, because if you're like me and you're a driven person, then um, for me, I want to I make sure that I maximize every minute. I want to make sure that every last grain of opportunity of anything I could do fits into my time jar. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I listen to podcasts when I'm going on a three-minute drive because I want to use that time efficiently. I come from a manufacturing background, and in a factory, you set everything up to maximize efficiency. No wasted time. No wasted movement. It bothers me when I'm in a line, and there's 100 people all waiting for one bottle of ketchup, and I'm like, dude, if we just put three bottles of ketchup, this thing would go three times as fast, and we'd all eat our food before it's cold. It drives me nuts. And so efficiency, I want to maximize everything and the amount of time that I can have. And when I talk to people, uh, many of you, uh, a decade ago when I asked people, how are you doing? How's your summer? The typical answer was fine. It's changed. You know what I've noticed the last few years when I ask people how they're doing, how their summer's been? You know what they say? Busy. Busy. Like, in other words, my jar is full every spare minute. I just found a few more minutes. You know, every spare minute is being maximized. In fact, there's things out here that I still can't even get to. I'm so busy. I'm so important. And, and it's this idea that I'm at the max, and, and I'm doing everything I can, and it's busy, busy, busy. I'm just spinning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody been feeling this? Okay. And so people today, I mean, all of us, we're just spinning. So busy, so much going on. So speaking of busy, speaking of spinning, have you ever seen a hamster running in its wheel. So much fun. Um, if you haven't, don't worry. I have a YouTube video I'm going to show you. Um, it's just so fun to watch these guys uh, run in their wheel. They're exerting so much energy and so much effort and really getting nowhere. And what's even funnier than a hamster running in on a wheel is when two hamsters try to run on a wheel together, which reminds me a little bit of marriage, you know, because one decides to stop running, the other is still running, and anyway, I'll let you watch the video, and then we'll make a point. Here comes the husband. All right, they got some counseling. They're doing better. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, it, you know, I don't care who you are. That's just funny. Okay, that, that's the first thing. But here, there is a there is a principle here, and there's there's something important that I want to draw from this example of these hamsters, and, and that is simply this: that sometimes we mistake activity for progress. Like sometimes we just, we just think like if I'm burning at 100% and I'm filling my time and I'm maximum everything, pedal to the metal, that I'm accomplishing something important. Clearly these hamsters are going nowhere fast. And, and, so, and so they're just kind of running, they're exerting their energy, but they're not actually getting anywhere. And activity um, does not indicate that there is progress being made. You know, sometimes we wear our busyness as a badge of honor, Right? And we're just like, wow, I'm so busy, so, 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 so slammed. And and that's why today I want to talk to you uh, about margin. I want to talk to you about margin. I want to talk to you about space. You see, what I believe that the the scriptures teach, and I want to show you this today, and I hope that this makes sense, and I hope that it's helpful to you. Actually, I'm going to pour some of this out. That essentially the scriptures teach 
that rather than trying to maximize every single minute, every waking hour of every day, that we are to have margin, space. That the, the most effective way to use our time is to not use all our time. And you go, well, that sounds counterproductive. I mean, if I, if I used every minute of the day, I could be so much more efficient. And God says, no. You have to have a margin. What's margin? Margin is the space around the edge of something. It's the border around, right? And, and so margin is this space that might seem to be a waste, but it actually isn't. I've got an image here of a, of a piece of paper. Because when you read a book, you don't, you don't realize how important the margin is. And so if you can see that, the text is printed right to the edge of the page. And to, to read a book like that would be horrific. Your eyes would be taxed trying to find the next line. And, and so we don't even realize how important that margin is around the edge. This is a very efficient use of the paper. You can fit more words on the page, use less pages in the book, but in the end, it doesn't benefit anybody. Here's another image of a car in the parking lot, okay? You've all met this person, okay? This is so annoying, Um, but this is very efficient. If we parked every car in the parking lot that close together, we could fit in an extra 15 cars. Would it be better? No. You'd all be climbing through the hatch, Duke's a hazard through the window, trying to get into your car, Right? It's very efficient, but it's not very effective at all. We need margin. In fact, this is true of us individually. Have you noticed that there's this personal space, margin, about 12 inches or so around your body? And uh, when someone invades that space, you're like, whoa, whoa, like you, you've just crossed into my margin. That's my, my space. You've all met close talkers. Close talkers, just, they just stand a couple inches too close, right? They're just, they're in that space. You've all met that person. If you say, no, I've never met that person, that's probably because you are that person. <laughs> so, um, you have a different idea. But so we have this margin is super, super important, right? We've got to have space in our lives, and this is true of our time. And what I want to show you today, we're going to do a lot of theological work. We're going to dig through the Old Testament and the New. And I want to teach you the importance of, of margin space, and rest. In fact, the, the title of my message today is, is very simple. Uh, it's, it's simply this, don't forget rest. Don't forget rest. Don't forget rest. Uh, I think we're all tempted to use up every minute to fill our jar where we're spinning busily out of control, and God says, don't forget rest. I want to show it to you. Um, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to turn um, to a text that's found in the Old Testament. It's in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verse 2. Um, the context for this, God has literally in the first chapter just created the heavens and the earth. In six days, he has created all things. He separated the light from the darkness, the water from the earth. He's created the birds and the fish. And then he creates on the sixth day the first man, um, maybe the first woman. We're not sure. Chapter 2 kind of breaks that out, how he created the woman from the man. But... He creates humankind on day six, and then it says this about day seven of creation, Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and what's that say? He rested. He rested on the seventh day. Now, to be accurate, that would be a Saturday, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. Made it holy. Now, to make something holy means to set it apart as different than anything else. So he sets the seventh day apart as special and holy unto himself because on it God rested. He makes the seventh day a memorial to him resting from all his work that he had done in creation. So this is amazing. 
God of heaven and earth, all-powerful, all-knowing, all of that, he creates the earth, he creates everything, and after six days, he just stops. And he, he rests, he sabbaths. And a sabbath really means, it's from the root word that means to cease or to stop. So literally, God stops what he's doing and takes a day to rest. This is a phenomenal idea. And I believe that he's setting a pattern and a precedence for us. And we're going to see that as we continue, that, that as we think about our time and our lives, there has to be margin, there has to be space for this thing that we call rest. And there are lots of benefits that we're going to get to. And so here's the big idea that I believe that weekly rest should be part of the rhythm of our lives. Weekly rest should be part of the rhythm of our lives. This idea of six days you work and one day you don't was so significant. It was so significant that God included it in the Ten Commandments. All right? He included it in the Ten Commandments. I think I have a slide with, you know, a summary of the Ten Commandments. So here's the Ten Commandments, and it's a summary form. On the left-hand side, we have four commands that are between us and God. And then on the right-hand side, on your right, you have six commands that dictate how we treat one another. These are laws that God gave to the nation of Israel, and he gave them, and they were very significant and very serious. Notice on the bottom of the left, it says, keep the Sabbath holy. So right in there with have no other gods before God, and thou shalt not murder, is a law that says you got to take a day off. Like, I don't know about you, but it seems like it doesn't belong in the list. And you have to wonder, why did God make that such a priority for his people? We're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit as we continue. In Exodus 20, verse 8, here's how he, how he says it specifically. That's just a summary. In Exodus 20, verse 8, he says this, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I find it fascinating that God tells his people, Remember to set this day aside. Um, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that God says, Remember. I think it's because he knew that, that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, that he was giving these commands to, and each and every one of us, by nature, will just blow past this. Like, oh, that's not important. I'll rest later. If you're a driven person like me, it's like we rest when we're tired. God says, no, I want you to rest. One day in seven, you're going to stop. You're going to cease. There's going to be a day that's different than the other days. This is so significant. I'm putting it in the Ten Commandments. That's pretty significant, I think. Um, and so I want to just jump into Exodus 31. And, and what we have here is God is speaking to Moses, and he's giving him the ten. Moses is about to come down the mountain with the tablets of stone with these ten commands written upon them. And he gives Moses some instruction and tells him how significant it is. Here's what he says, Exodus 31, verse 15. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy or set aside to the Lord. Literally, um, after Moses institutes this law, the entire nation of Israel would stop on, the sa- on Saturday, Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, the seventh day, um, according to the, to the Jewish nation, and they would shut down. Literally, shops would close, business would close. If you were in Israel selling your wares, you know, if you were from out of town, you wouldn't be able to sell anything. You would literally have to wait a day till everything ramps up again. It became part of the culture. It was intended to be part of the, the, the culture of the nation of Israel. How many of you remember when Sunday was like that in Canada? Yeah, I, I was thinking about like just, it wasn't even maybe 20, 25 years ago when I was a younger man. Um, 
that uh, I remember I was hanging out with some friends here in Peterborough, and we decided it was a Sunday. We'd gone to church. We were all just kind of sitting around, and we went, hey, let's rent a movie. That'd be a fun thing to do. And so we proceeded to drive around the entire city looking for somewhere to rent a movie, and guess what? They were all closed. Back in the day, the good old days, you have to go and rent a video VHS cassette. Do you guys remember that? And the guy before you never rewound it. It was so frustrating. And uh, you get these video cassettes, and then you had to return them. And if you didn't, you paid more for the late fee than you did for the original rental. It was awesome. The good old days. Now we just download it. It disappears. But we would go, and literally, restaurants would close. Factories would close. People would just spend time with family. It was, it was cultural. And over time, obviously, that has changed. And those of you who are younger, Sunday might just feel like another day of the week. But it wasn't always the case. And so Sunday was this, this type of day, a cultural day of rest. For the nation of Israel, though, it went way beyond just shutting down a few stores. The entire nation stopped. This was unusual in the world. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because look at what he says next. He says, uh, in the next verse, he says, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath, this is God speaking to Moses, shall be put to death. So if, if yesterday was the Sabbath and you picked up and washed some dishes or put away your socks or drove somewhere, you'd be violating the Sabbath and the law says you die. Exciting. <clears throat> I'm just glad you came to church today. Um, so whoever does any work on the Sabbath, this is pretty, pretty severe, pretty, pretty crazy to think about that this is included in the Ten Commandments and that God is taking this, this rest day so seriously. It's like, Really? Like, can we just chill out about this? It's, it's not that big a deal. God said, yes, it is. Now, uh, let me give you a bit of backstory and explain why the Sabbath was so significant. Okay, and this is where we get into a bit of theology and a bit of history. First of all, when God comes to a man by the name of Abraham, and God makes a covenant with a single man named Abraham, and he says to Abraham, he says, through you, the world will be blessed. Through you, I'm going to make a nation for myself. And he makes a covenant with Abraham, and any time a covenant is made, there's always a sign something people can see. I made a covenant when I married my wife. I have this ring. It's a sign of our, of our marriage. And people know that I'm in covenant because I have this ring. He says, there's going to be a sign of the covenant that I'm making with you, Abraham, and it's circumcision. So all the male descendants of Abraham were circumcised, and it was a visible, physical mark of the covenant that God made. I'm going to make a nation, and through that nation, the world will be blessed. There's the first covenant, Abraham. Now, um, God has fulfilled his word Abraham's descendants have grown into a great nation in Egypt, and God sends Moses, and he's going to lead that nation out to inhabit the land that God promised Abraham. So God is fulfilling the covenant that he made to Abraham, and so when he's on the way to the land that they're about to possess, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, not with Abraham now, I'm going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel. So on Mount Sinai, Moses goes up the mountain, and God gives him the Ten Commandments, a whole bunch of other laws. He gives him the the temple the priesthood, all of the Jewish traditions, all of that stuff is given to Moses, and God makes a new covenant with the people. Now, I want to pick up back where we left off, okay? Anyone who who betrays the Sabbath, put to death, and here's what he says next in verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations, this is to the people of Israel, as a covenant forever. So the, the Sabbath and the covenant are linked It is, verse 17, a what? It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh he rested and refreshed. This is the reason why the Sabbath day was so important. 
it was a sign of the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. And if you know someone who's Jewish, this is very significant to them. And it ought to be. It is a sign of the Mosaic covenant and the law. that Everything is connected. It is that thing that people would look at and see the whole nation stop and go, why are they doing that? Because they're connected to the God who created the heavens and the earth in six days. They're doing that to remember how God brought them out of Egypt. They're looking back and remembering their God. And this Sabbath rest day is a sign of this covenant. So here's a question. As I said earlier, if you guys did some work yesterday, guilty of that. So why, why is it that for some reason Christians seem to excuse this commandment above all the others? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, we just we do whatever we want on Saturday. That's the, the, the official Sabbath. Uh, why is that? And so I want to just share with you um, something from the New Testament. It's something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 34. He's speaking about the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Some of you remember that story. And he says this in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same way, also, he'd just taken the bread, and now he says in the same way he took the cup. This is Jesus, about Jesus. After supper, saying, this cup is the, what's that say? New covenant. There was the covenant with Abraham, and then there was the covenant with the nation of Israel. And now, he says, I'm making a new covenant. This one's not with an individual, and it's not with a nation. It's with all who come to me in faith. This is for the world. Jesus says, I'm establishing a new, Hebrew says, a better covenant made on better promises. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Mosaic covenant, they they sacrificed animals. That's why they did blood sacrifice. It was the way that the covenant was sealed. Jesus says, I'm going to seal this new covenant with my own blood. Do this. Sharing in the Lord's Supper, communion, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So he says, from now on, those who follow me, those who call themselves Christians, are going to partake of the bread and of the cup, and they're going to take it and remember Christ. Now, um, in John's gospel account, he tells us what the sign of this new covenant is going to be. Remember, each covenant had a sign associated with it. Here's what he says it is in John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, and this is right after he had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give you. For those who follow Jesus, we're no longer under the old commandment and the Mosaic law. We're under a new law and a new commandment from Christ. And here's what he says. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. You go, well, that's easy. No, it's not. (laughs) I love you. You love me. We're happy. No, that's not what he's talking about. How does he talk about love? He says that you would love one another as I have loved you. To put this in context, Jesus had literally that same evening stripped down to his undergarments and washed his disciples' feet like a lowly servant, the son of God. He's like, that's how you love one another. A few days later, he's going to hang on the cross saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, demonstrating how we're to love. So this is not some manby, not, not an easier law than the old one. It's actually a harder law. But we come under a new law, the law of Christ, the law of love. And he continues to say this. He says, by this, okay, new covenant, new command. Let me show you the sign. By this, this is the thing. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, people aren't going to recognize Christians for their Sabbath keeping. They're not going to recognize Christians for their circumcision, thank goodness. <laughs> How do they even check, right? So, he says, it's, it's not that covenant. It's not, that's too far. It's not that covenant. It's not that law. 
It's not the Mosaic covenant. It's not that law. He says, I'm making a new covenant and a new command that supersedes the old, that is greater than the old, that is more life-giving than the old. And the sign is my people will love one another in a way that is otherworldly. People will look and go, I don't know what's different about those people. And he's like, it's love. They're following the commandment of Christ. This is what the, new, the early church did. And so when we look at the early church uh, writings in the book of Acts and in the letters, uh, many of the Gentile churches, so people that became followers of Jesus who weren't Jews, at no point in the New Testament do you find them being instructed to keep the Jewish Sabbath on a Saturday. In fact, they met and worshipped often in homes each throughout the days, through the weeks, but also they met on Sunday, which was, they called the Lord's Day, because Christ had risen on that day. And the Spirit had descended on that day. And so, and so you see in church history that kind of this day of worship becomes Sunday instead of Saturday. And so people freak out about it and everyone gets all excited about uh, whether we're supposed to observe the Sabbath or not. Paul writes this to the Colossians. And this is where theology is going to take a turn to be more practical. He says, therefore, and again he's speaking to churches that had both Jews who began to follow Jesus and non-Jews who didn't know the dietary laws, who didn't know all of the, um, the festivals that they were supposed to keep and the Sabbath day rituals. And he says this to the, to the early church, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the Ten Commandments as given to Moses for the people was fulfilled by Jesus. Let me tell you, none of us can fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled that law for us. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. They used to offer animals. He offers himself. He fulfills the priesthood, and he forms a new priesthood, a new temple, a new people under a new covenant, and the new command is love, is love. And so he says, don't don't let people drag you into all of these old rituals and traditions. Christ fulfills all of it, and the substance belongs to him. So, After I've said all of that, here's the conclusion I want to make. I do not believe, and you can disagree with me, and if you believe in keeping the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, please do that and do it with a good conscience. But I do not believe that Christians, especially Gentiles, are required to observe the Sabbath day on a Saturday as it was given to the Jews. That was a sign for them and the nation of Israel. However, this is where we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right? However, I do believe that we break the Sabbath principle, that we live our lives without margin, without the rest that God commands to our own peril. It's true. And, and, and if we do not take heed to the principle, to the example of God himself, then uh, we will find ourselves in trouble. And the problem with this is that when we live our lives, our time, our resources without margin, um, it doesn't always affect us in the short term, but given some time, there's a price to be paid. One more scripture, and then I'm going to give you some practical application. Um, In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders of the day. Now, they were very serious, as you can imagine, about the keeping of the Sabbath. All the rules and traditions was very, very serious. And one day, these disciples are picking heads of grain as they're walking through the field on a Saturday. And the religious leaders are like, hey, that's work. They're violating the Sabbath. And Jesus defends his disciples. And he makes this incredible statement about the Sabbath. Okay, here's what he says in verse 27 of Mark 2. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, hey, God made man first and then rested to set an example for us. God rested not because he was tired. 
He rested because he was setting an example for us that when we follow in it, it brings us blessing. The Sabbath principle uh, is found in Genesis 2, long before the giving of the Mosaic law and the command. Jesus is like, you guys are so caught up in how to keep the rules, you forget the reason why the rule was given. It was to bless you. It was a pattern for you to thrive in your life. And so I repeat, weekly rest should be part of the rhythm of our lives. Make sense? It should be part. Now, we have the option. We're not mandated by law to do it, but if we don't, we'll pay for that. And so um, there's a number of reasons why I think we should rest. And let me give you uh, just three simple benefits of rest, and hopefully this will help you. First of all, rest allows us to sustain progress. Think about it. If you go to the gym and you lift weights for two hours a day, and you do that every day for a month, you might initially start to see some progress. By the end of the month, your body will start to break down. Why? Because in order for you to make progress, you have to have rest days. Professional athletes know this. In fact, they're mandated to have rest days. They're mandated to cycle their workouts so that their body can repair itself and get stronger. Rest allows us to keep doing something longer. If I wanted to, I could work 24 hours a day and I could get so much done, but for how long? See, without rest, my body would break down. I could work 16 hours a day, sleep for eight hours, work 16 hours, sleep eight hours, and I could do that for two weeks, three weeks, maybe a couple of months, and then I'll end up in the hospital. And I'll be out of work for six months while my body and my mind heal, right? So are you making progress? No. Rest allows us to sustain, to sustain our progress over time. You know, 100 years ago, people used to work. It was so physical. If you, if you have family who were farmers and tilled the land, I mean, their bodies were, were beaten down. I mean, you're, you're pulling tree stumps out and you're plowing the ground and you're caring for animals and pitching hay and your body was tired and needed rest. But today, think about it. Most of us in this room, unless you're in a trade, um, most of us in this room are not physically taxing our bodies. We live in an information age. Most of us are overtaxing our minds. Our minds. Because we're using our mind to do work. We're using our brain. We're making decisions. We're, we're reading information. We're doing all of these things. And we're taxing our brain. And just like our bodies, if our brains don't get a break, they break down. I have no statistics for this, but I have a hunch that maybe the rise in mental health is because we're always on. And even though our bodies aren't wearing out, our brains are. It's like ding, and serotonin goes through our brain, and we go, oh my goodness, what's going on? And it's just constant stimulus, 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 day and night, midnight, TV screens on, stimulus, 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 and we don't give our brains a rest, and we're violating the Sabbath principle, and we'll pay the price. So when we rest, when we rest, it allows us to sustain progress. If you want to be in a better place five years from now, you should make margin and space in your schedule for rest. It will allow you to be successful in the long run. Here's the second thing. Rest allows us to reflect and assess. You know, as long as that hamster's running on the wheel, he doesn't even realize he's not going anywhere. After he gets tired and falls off, then he's sitting there watching the other hamster going, that guy's wasting his energy. Like, that's just dumb. And I think so many times people, we get to the end of our lives and we finally slow down enough and look back and go, what was I doing? My priorities were out of whack. I was running at a pace that wasn't sustainable. What was I, why didn't I stop and slow down and evaluate? And that's what rest allows us to do. When we have a weekly opportunity to rest, it allows us to, 
to reflect and it allows us to assess what's actually going on. You know, there's a difference between being efficient and effective, right? So you can fill every minute of your day with very efficient uses of time, but is it effective? Is it the right thing? Here's an example. If you're going into surgery and you're about to have uh, some heart surgery and they've got you hooked up and you're on the bed and they're wheeling you down the hall into the operating room and as you go through the doors, you see the surgeon who's about to perform the procedure running around the room frantically sweeping the floor, taking out the trash, wiping the tables down. Let me ask you a question. Is the surgeon being efficient with his time? Ah, he's not standing around. He's doing efficient work. But is it the right thing he should be doing? Is it effective? No, you're looking, I'm going like, read the chart, <laughs> make sure you know what you're doing, make sure you have a plan. Like, so he's doing the wrong thing. And when we have a rest built into our weekly schedule, it allows us the opportunity to stop and go, am I doing the right thing? Am I using my time in the right way? Without it, we'll just keep, we'll just keep running on the wheel, we'll just keep spinning away without having the opportunity to reflect. Now, this is also true of worship. That when we have time to rest and reflect, it's in those moments that we stop and actually enjoy all the things we've been working for. It's not until you stop that you go, well, you know what, I don't have, there's lots to do, of lots of ambitions, but I have a lot to be thankful for. As, as Todd said in the welcome, it's like, oh man, God is good. And it's out of that rest and reflection that true worship springs out of our heart. And we're like, God, thank you for my health. Thank you that today I can just, I can just stop what I'm doing and, and just allow myself to be. See, we're so busy trying to accomplish and do things, we rarely take the time to just be, to just exist, and to rest in that moment. And so it brings us to a place of worship. And here's the third thing. Rest provides us an opportunity to trust in God. Or you could say it requires faith in God. And this is true. Because for many of us, we're tr- we've got all these things we're trying to accomplish. We're spinning like that hamster, trying to move the ball forward in our lives And when we stop and pull back and say, I'm not doing that, all of a sudden we have to have a faith and a trust in God. Like, oh, the world was spinning before I got here. Oh, the world doesn't really revolve around me. Oh, even if I don't do those things that are are really important to do today, that God God will handle it. There's faith involved. For the, for the nation of Israel, they would have been sitting there on the Sabbath day, worried about their seeds going into the ground before the rains came. And God's like, no, no. Today you sit. And they stopped and they waited. It was an act of faith. And it's an act of faith in our lives as well. So here's the point. Don't forget rest. Don't forget it. I'm not saying you're mandated by law to take every Saturday off, but you better find some time. You better have some margin in your life. Or whatever you're doing... Currently, you will not be able to sustain because we all need margin in our lives. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We will blow past this. We will fill our time jar and use every single minute unless we purpose to set time aside to rest. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a couple of questions um, that will help you to reflect. And uh, this is a tough message for me to preach because... Of all the commandments, this would be the one I would be tempted to break the most. Because I'm driven. And there's so many things I want to do. And for me, it takes so much faith to stop and go, you know what? I'm going to set this time aside as different from other time. And I'm going to rest my mind, rest my body. I'm going to have times of worship and prayer. And in doing so, we set ourselves up for future success and blessing 
So ask yourself um, the following question, you know. If you continue, and if your life, if you are, like I said, busy, like you, your jar is full, you have no margin in your time, life, schedule, finances, ask yourself a question. If you keep going at that rate, where are you going to be in five or ten years? Better place or worse? And if it's a worse place, maybe something needs to come out of that jar and you need some margin in your life. Um, is there a time? It's another question. Is there a time in your week? Is there a time in your day? When there are certain things you don't do, when stuff stops. I don't even care what it is. If you're a teenager, maybe there's a window of time each week that you shut off your phone, put it in airplane mode, and do something else. Maybe if you're uh, you know, an adult and you're working seven days a week, could you rearrange your time so that you could have a day where there is no work being done for your mind and body to rest? This is going to apply to everyone in a different way, but do you have time set aside that is different than every other day of the week? If you do, it'll bless you. It'll bless you. And so, um, don't forget to rest. Uh, We don't have to follow a Sabbath as a law, but if we set aside the time to rest, it will bring blessing into our lives and honor God. Is that helpful for anybody? Can I pray? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.